You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. I haven't really stopped to think about that question before, about maybe what people think of you when they think of you, but what do you think you're known for? Perhaps you're known for being a sensational cook. Maybe to the degree that you're almost like you could win MasterChef, you're that good. Or maybe like Steve and Anita King, you're known as ferocious card sharks. Maybe that's, your, maybe that's what you're known for. Or perhaps you're known for your incredibly, incredible ability to remember the most obscure movie quotes and insert them at just the right moment in conversation to bring home your point. Maybe that's what you're known for, perhaps. Freedom! Or maybe, as you think about it, perhaps you're known for some things that aren't quite so positive in terms of attributes. Perhaps it's your short temper, or having a a bit of a harsh and loose tongue at times, or, you know, maybe this one, saying you'll do something, but then often failing to actually go ahead and do that very thing that you've promised you'll do. All of us, every single one of us, have a reputation of some sort. And as we'll continue in Ephesians today, continue our study series, our sermon series in Ephesians, we discover that the church in Ephesus had a reputation too. And according to the Apostle Paul, it was a really good one. So what were they known for? And why was their reputation significant in their context? Well, let's pray and then we'll dive in together and explore Ephesians, the rest of Ephesians chapter 1 and we'll find out exactly why. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. You are an awesome God. There is no one like you. You are glorious. You are wonderful. You are so beyond our understanding, and yet, Lord, you can be known. You can be known personally because of your great love for us, because, Jesus, you made a way to bring us back to God, relationship to be possible again. And we just celebrate that, God. And even as we open up your word today, God, we are just in awe that you would give us this gift of your word that not only tells us about what you're like, but it is quite literally the truth on which we can base our very lives to find ultimate purpose, ultimate meaning, ultimate life in abundance as you desire for us to enjoy. So God, today, as we open up Ephesians again and as we look at the reputation of the Ephesians and apply it to our own lives, God, would you move in power by your Spirit? And Lord, would it not be my words that are heard today, but would it be the exact words that your spirit wants each and every person to hear in the context and the situations and the circumstances therein. And I pray this in faith, knowing God that you alone can do that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's, let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through to 23. And this is a passage in my Bible that's titled, thanksgiving and prayer. It's what Paul says. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith 
in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Man, I love Paul's writing. I love this letter to the Ephesians. There's such encouraging and rich and deep theological words right here, aren't there? And yet again, in typical Paul style, in the original, in the original language, this is, again, one big long sentence with no opportunities for a breath. So praise God for the way that we edit the word into and translate into English, isn't it? So that we can actually have a breath at some time. You know, we see here, right in verse 15, what members of the church in Ephesus were known for. What were they known for? They were known for their faith in Jesus and their love for the church. Verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. That's a pretty good reputation, isn't it? That's a pretty good reputation to have. Paul had heard reports about the church in Ephesus, and he heard that they were actually continuing to live authentically on the whole. You know, they're not perfect, as, as we'll see through the other chapters of, of Ephesians, but he heard that overall they were continuing to live as authentic followers of Jesus. And I would imagine if you're listening to this as a Christian today, you would probably think that this is the ideal reputation that you could have. Do you, do you think that? I do. I mean, I'd love for people to think of me and then think of these kind of things. I'm sure you would too. Now, as is often the case with the Bible, as is probably, I would suggest, most often the case when we come to reading the Bible, if we just read this passage and kind of think about what Paul is suggesting here and saying here at only this kind of surface level, we'd actually be missing why it is that Paul is so excited about the state of the church in Ephesus. We tend to read passages like this and say, well, that's nice, good on them, or as if anyone's a Dave Hughes fan, good on you, you know, like he says. But we'd actually miss, if we left it at that level, we'd be missing the wonder of what is actually occurring here. To understand why Paul is so excited, so buoyed by the state of the church, we need to understand a bit about the ancient city of Ephesus. Ephesus was 
One, it was, it was a port city. It was a really important city on the west coast of Asia. And it boasted one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis. And this temple played a key role in society in those days. If you're in trouble, where would you go? You would run to the temple where you could seek refuge and would be protected. Slaves and fugitives of the day, they sought asylum simply by going near to the temple. The temple also served a really key economic role in the life of Ephesus. It actually operated as an important bank at one stage in history. But primarily, as with other temples, what is its main function? To, to worship someone, to something. And that was why it was created. This temple was created in order to honour and worship the goddess Artemis. And Artemis was served, as is often the case, Artemis was served by a eunuch chief priest along with virgin women, and people would regularly, in Ephesus of the day, they would regularly enter the temple to go and provide offerings of worship to this false god, to the goddess Artemis. They'd, they'd bring food offerings, they'd bring grain offerings, incense, and sometimes, um, maybe if you have read some of the Bible, you might be seeing some parallels here, but sometimes they'd even come and offer animal sacrifices as well. And Artemis, it was clear in, in those days that was widely revered, widely worshipped by the Ephesians because the very temple played such a key central role in society. Now, when I say worshipped, I don't just mean like perhaps in our Western culture today, this concept of people go to worship God. And, you know, for some, um, you know, maybe, maybe you've been there before in the past or maybe this is what you do. You kind of see that, oh, well, I, go to, I go to church on Easter, I go to church at Christmas and that's kind of, I, that's how I worship God. That's, that's enough for me. Well, you see, back in those days, uh, we're talking, when we're saying worship, we mean like worship, like completely devoted, daily, giving everything and all that they are and all that they have to worship this false goddess. If you've ever read some of the New Testament, some of Paul's missionary adventures in Acts, you might remember there was a time when Paul had the opportunity to share the gospel really boldly in a great theatre before Alexander and great crowds of people. Does anyone remember that? Does that sort of ring a bell for anyone? Well, in Acts chapter 19, we can, we can read about this and we can see the degree to which the people worshipped. Like it wasn't kind of like, oh, I'll do it if I, yeah, I might sort of, oh yeah, praise to Artemis. It was not like that. These people really worshipped and really loved Artemis. Let's turn, Acts 19 verse 34. But when they recognised that he, that's Paul, was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. 
All right. Did you catch that? For about two hours. Two hours. They cried in unison, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, continually, so much so that Paul couldn't even get a word in. Man, that is some serious worship right there. Can you imagine that? Like Paul, maybe standing before this, this quite significant crowd of people, and, and it was a significant crowd of people, historians who have looked at, at, you know, done all the research, have seen the ancient ruins, have estimated the sort of size of this actual place. They believe that the theatre could hold all up around 20,000 people. Now, we don't know how many people were there that day, but you can imagine that they're to- if, if they, um, there are crowds of people there, that there would have been quite a few people there with him. And 20,000 people, or however many thousand people, all for two hours nonstop chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That is some serious noise right there. And if you think about it, for those of us who are in Melbourne, in terms of capacity... That is actually the kind of crowd that would fill both Rod Laver and Margaret Court Arena to capacity. Like, that's how many people we're looking at. Unreal. Such was the love and the the passion for this false goddess, Artemis. Now, here's another example from history for their love. In the 4th century BC, you know, when the temple was destroyed by fire, which is kind of, kind of comes with the territory if you're offering burnt offerings and things, every now and then there may be a fire. But when the temple was destroyed by fire, the Ephesians were actually offered assistance from Alexander, the, the ruling authority in Ephesus at the time. They were, offered, they were offered assistance and they said no. They said, we don't want your money. We're going to do it out of our own pocket. Like that is the degree to which they loved the false goddess Artemis. Now, now, getting a bit of the bigger picture with all this kind of background, can you see in this culture, in this day, why Paul is so excited? Can you see it? You know, in this goddess-worshipping culture, with this temple as the central thing in society, why is Paul excited? He's still excited. He is so overjoyed because the church that he helped to establish is still going strong. It's still going strong. It's not perfect, as we'll see as Paul's letter continues, but it's still going strong. The church that in Ephesus continues to be known for the two things that ultimately we all should, should pray that God would shape us so we're known for, our resolute faith in Jesus and our deep love for one another. That's why Paul is excited and that's the context and why Paul goes on to pray the beautiful prayer that he does in the following verses. Now, you might be thinking, I love history, but Joel, stop giving me a history lesson. What on earth has all this got to do with me in 2021? What's the relevance? How does any of this have any bearing on my life today? Well, I want to put it to us today that we are actually not that unlike the Ephesians. We are not that 
unlike the Ephesians. It doesn't matter if we class ourselves as a person who follows Jesus or if we view ourselves as someone who perhaps right now doesn't have faith but is on a spiritual journey. We're not unlike the Ephesians. Let me explain. For most of us, I'm gathering, we don't worship the Greek goddess Artemis. We don't love, we don't honour her, we don't centre our very lives around her or any other false gods for that matter. However, like the Ephesians, we are so prone to loving and honouring and centering our very lives around idols. Idols. Different forms of idols, perhaps not an ancient Greek goddess or god, but different forms of idols that we worship because we think that they will bring us satisfaction. They will bring us meaning. They will bring us a sense of purpose or freedom in life, but but will actually never deliver and satisfy us and the deepest longings of our hearts. A pastor from the US, Tim Keller, in his book, it's a great book, it's called Counterfeit Gods, he explains this really well. He says, An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what, only God can give. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. You know, in our Western world today, we worship so many idols. We worship so many idols if we really stop and think about it. You know, we worship idols, including things like beauty, Um, status, sex, control, fame, wealth. These things, they're, they're all idols, things that if we're not careful can very easily become the very central pursuits in our lives. Things that we pursue and, and um, seek after and invest in in order to try to find ultimate value, meaning, or pleasure from. Now, let's, let's use wealth as an example this morning. You know, Steve shared months ago now, he, he said this really clearly, and, and this needs to be said, it is 100% true. Money in and of itself is not bad. And this is just true for any other idols. Family can be an idol. Sex which is a great gift from God, if, if that is what you pursue and that's all you're focused on and, and, the, and everything is about your ultimate pleasure from sex with your husband or wife, then that potentially may be an idol. It's not bad in and of itself, but if it's all-consuming and it's in the place of God, before God, then it's an idol. And so, you know, as Steve said, with wealth, money in and of itself is actually not bad. It's not bad at all. But... The love of money is. And in summary, what that is, it's having money as an idol, where it's consuming, where it's, you're invested. The Bible is really clear on that. And you see, when wealth is an idol for us, we love money. We 
We love money. We center our very lives around it and put our ultimate hope in what? In the accumulation of wealth. We spend all the time we can thinking about how we're going to get more of it, how we can make better financial investments so we can just get more and more and more of those green $100 bills. And we do all this, we do all of this, really, if we boil it down, because we believe a lie. We're actually believing a lie. Deep down in our hearts, and, and here's what the lie is. The lie is that we believe that wealth is our ticket to ultimate freedom and satisfaction in life. That's, that's the lie that we believe if wealth is an idol for us. We believe the lie that says accumulating wealth is the way to attain and then enjoy true freedom in this life. Now, unfortunately, and maybe some of us have discovered this to be true, if we spend our lives worshipping the idol of wealth, we eventually come to realise that the idol we've been worshipping, the idol that has taken so much of our heart, so much of our focus, so much of our time and energy and resources, this idol of wealth, it promises so much and it actually delivers very little. We may come to a stage in life where we uh, have incredible financial freedom, you know, where it's, where it's not a... We don't have a care in the world. We can go and buy whatever we want. We can go on whatever holidays we want or anything like that. And potentially, we may come to a point earlier on in life where we actually can retire and we don't have to ever work another day again. But if, idol, if, a, if wealth is an idol for us, we still have that feeling, that, that deep, horrible sense of emptiness of loneliness, of unfulfillment in life despite having everything we could possibly want because we've got enough money to buy whatever we could possibly want. We might have the most beautiful house. We might have a nice car or a really fancy one. We may have investment portfolios that are the most incredible ones in existence. And we could still, if money is an idol, if wealth is an idol for us, we could still feel completely unsatisfied and lacking. We might have the funds to do pretty well whatever it is we want to do in life and actually still feel trapped and locked up in a sense, unable to live and experience, and here's the thing with idols, unable to live and experience in true freedom, the very thing that idols promise but actually don't deliver because... They can never actually give us that freedom that we hope in them and believe that they're going to give us. Jim Carrey, a famous actor from the US, he knew this to be true. And he famously said this quote about wealth and fame. And I think we should listen to his words. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. So they can see it's not the answer. And this gets back to that, that Tim Keller quote that I shared earlier. Wealth or any idol, for that matter, 
will never ultimately satisfy the deepest longings and desires of our hearts. Trusting in anything or anyone ultimately other than God is never the answer and it's not the answer. And this is why Paul's prayer of encouragement for the church in Ephesus back in their context is actually super relevant for us today in ours. Like members of the Ephesian church then, we all face temptations, we all face opportunities daily, even multiple times a day to turn away from following God and to stop loving other people. And if we're not careful, just like for these early members of the church in Ephesus, we too, we too could very, very easily be led astray through the influence of the environment and the Western culture in which we live. Did you notice how Paul encourages the Ephesians and us today to actually stay on track? Did you see how? Well, we'll discover it as we read Paul's together right now. Ephesians 1, 16 to 23. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Notice what Paul does. Paul doesn't just kind of pat them on the back and say, great job, church, you're doing well. You're known for being people as love. You're known for being people who are resolute in your faith. Keep up the great work. He doesn't give them a halftime pep talk. But through his prayer, Paul actually encourages them to look beyond to look beyond the false idols of the day or the false god Artemis to fix their eyes on the one true God, the one true, the only true deity in all existence, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, as he says. And Paul's prayer is a beautiful encouragement and reminder for the church, for us, for you, for me to actually shift our perspective, to, to look beyond all this stuff that's on offer in our world, to look beyond the temptations, to look beyond the idols that are pursued so intently and valued so, so, so highly in our Western world, and instead to fix our eyes firmly on Jesus and focus in on the wonder and the true character, and just how awesome our mighty God is. 
Perhaps if you have ever done any photography, you might have one of these. It's a, for those who maybe don't know what it is, it's called a digital SLR. It's a way to take really high quality photos and with lots of creative settings and customization so you can really hone your shot. And what, what, the, what these do is they allow a good operator to take a really detailed and a really focused shot. You know, even in a room full of people, a crowded room full of people, a really talented photographer with a digital SLR can kind of hone in right on a person or an object and make everything else just kind of seem like it, it's fading away, like it's blurred out into the background. And that's the thing. The objects and people at different depths, as it's focused in, as the photo goes in and, and, and zooms right in on a person's face or on an object, everything in the background just starts to, to fade away. It's not in focus anymore. That's all blurred. And the very thing that the photographer, the very object that the photographer is trying to focus their attention on comes to the fore. It stands out. It's clear. It's easy to discern and see. And everything else sort of just that was catching our eye in the broader room is no longer a distraction. It fades away. It doesn't have the same influence that it did before the photographer zoomed in and focused in on the object for the shot. And in many ways for us, whether you've got a digital SLR, whether you like photography or not, this is a really good kind of image or, or concept to keep in our minds as we live in a worship everything but God kind of world. Because really that's the world in which we live, isn't it? We can, all of us, we can look beyond idols. We can look beyond the temptations of our day, whatever they are for us, not so much by trying hard to ignore them all, because who knows that the very way our media is set up is so that we cannot ignore them. The, the, the Spotify ads, the, the annoying ads on other things, product placement, all this sort of stuff, targeted ads through Facebook, it's all designed to be consuming and to distract us. That's how it works. But we don't try to avoid those temptations and, and say no to those idols by just trying hard to ignore them. We actually can do that by focusing in on and getting caught up in the only one who is truly worth all our worship, our awesome, mighty God. And as we refocus our hearts, because ultimately that's what Paul's getting at here. Idols operate at a heart level. They, they grip our hearts. They consume our hearts. They, they change our desires. And, you know, as Scripture says, out of, out of the heart, mouth speaks, doesn't it? So they, they change our motives and change our actions as well. And that's where idols have a grip on us. And so when we refocus our hearts... But we do that by fixing our eyes on God. By fixing our eyes on God. And when we do that, Holy Spirit works on us. And all of a sudden, all those other things seem to fade back a bit. We can see clearly for the one who is truly worth our worship. 
And as this kind of thing happens, as, as the idols that we so often attempted to worship kind of fade away and fade into the background, we suddenly find ourselves becoming freer. We experience a bit more freedom through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not through us trying hard. It is through us beholding Jesus and Holy Spirit working in our hearts as we behold Jesus and look at him and marvel at truly how awesome and wonderful he is. Then Holy Spirit frees us to not only enjoy life in relationship with Jesus, but we're also freed then, our hearts are freed so that we can live as authentic followers of Jesus. We can, we can not only connect with him, but we can also live out his love to those around us. People who, like members of the early church in Ephesus, can actually live in a world full of created idols and still remain on track. People who can stay focused and can grow deeper in relationship with God despite the many other idols out there competing for our attention. Ultimately, as we look beyond and as we look to our Saviour, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit is only going to shape us as people who are known for their faith in Jesus and their love for the church. Friends, wherever you're at today, I just want you to know, God wants you to know that this is his heart for you. This is his heart for you. This is what he longs, he desperately longs, he desires for you to be known for as well, for this to be your reputation. If you know Jesus and you've trusted in him as your Lord and Savior, but for whatever reason, and this has been true for all of us over the journey. It's true for all of us at different times through life. If for whatever reason you've become distracted, you've turned aside to idols, and even as I was talking perhaps about wealth or, or other ones that I named, you felt that sort of twinge inside and like, oh, yeah, I kind of have. Well, if that's you, I just want to encourage you, turn afresh to God right now. Turn and behold the awesome God and allow that wonder that Holy Spirit fills into your heart to just cast out and fade into the background all other things so that you can truly marvel at and worship the awesome God. He's going to welcome you back. He will help you to refocus on him and he'll lead you forward in the power of his Holy Spirit to live as a beloved son or a beloved daughter in his family. And if you're listening to this and you don't yet know Jesus Christ, can I just say today's the day to come to him. There's never been a better moment for you right now to turn and come and find relationship with Jesus. Because here's the thing, it's only in relationship with Jesus that you will find the very things that your heart craves and your heart desires. You're looking for ultimate satisfaction. You're looking for identity, value, pleasure, purpose. They're, they're common things that we all need and we're, we're all driven to find in life. And these are things that the Bible says that if any one of us are looking for it in anywhere else other than Jesus, we're actually looking for them in the wrong place. And God would say to you today, stop striving, stop searching. My son is who you're looking for. Jesus is who 
you're looking for. He will satisfy your deepest desires. So go ahead and approach him and place your faith in him today. As Tim Keller says in his book, Counterfeit Idols, the only way to free ourselves from the destructive influence of counterfeit gods is to turn back to the true one, the living God. He's the only one who, if you find him, can truly fulfill you. And if you fail him, we all do, can truly forgive you. Praise God, friends. That is some truly good news for all of us today. So let's do that. Let's all, no matter whether we know Jesus or whether we're still on a spiritual journey, we're seeking, let's all choose today to turn to Jesus and behold him and look to him. And as the Apostle Paul so elegantly writes in Ephesians 117, let's turn to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Because he alone is worthy of our devotion and our worship. And Jesus alone is the only one who will ever truly satisfy us as we find forgiveness in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are in awe of you. You are such an awesome God. We can't, yeah, we just marvel at how good you are, God, how faithful you are, how, how glorious you are, Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that through this, this beautiful letter, Paul just reminds us that of, of the power in focusing on you, the power on focusing on the true God and how when we look to the true God, all the other false gods just fade into the background. They no longer have the power over us that they once did. But as we allow your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, you will help us not only to behold Jesus, not only to enjoy Jesus, not only to experience freedom and life like no other in relationship with him, but you will also help to cast aside those other idols and other temptations that are in existence and we all struggle with from time to time so that we can be truly free. And We thank you, God, that whereas, whereas false idols promise the world and deliver nothing ultimately, God, we give you glory and honour and praise that, Jesus, you promise everything and you deliver in every single way. May we know that in increasing measure if we have faith. May we know that if we're seeking and reaching out to you for the first time today. May we know that in a deep way for the very first time right now, right now. We just thank you, God. We thank you that you are such an awesome God who loves all people passionately and longs for them to be truly free through relationship with Jesus. Thank you, God. We thank you that you alone satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts. And we remind ourselves of that today and we turn to you afresh today. We thank you, Jesus, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' mighty name.
Amen.